Thank you so very, very much. If you have your Bible this morning, please take it and turn with me to the 37th chapter, the 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel over in the Old Testament. You can find Isaiah, then Jeremiah. Ezekiel will be the next major book. It's a blessing to be back with you. I think it's either been five or six years. And uh, it's really, uh, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. It seemed like it was only yesterday. But uh, God has a way of working things out for His honor and glory. Uh, we were in evangelism five and a half years. Uh, four years, uh, excuse me, yes, four years. Next Sunday, uh, the Lord issued us a call through the people of the Sopchoppy Baptist Church. And we became their pastor. And uh, it's quite a change in our life. Uh, from going from being on the road almost every week to actually pastoring a church again. Never, never expected that to happen. But God is faithful and He has a plan for our life if we will but yield to it. Now you have your Bible there in front of you if you will please. Beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. It's a very important statement. Ezekiel, a man of God, has been asked to do many things by God. He's asked to, to shave and burn his beard. He, he's been asked literally to, to preach to people that will not hear. He's preaching to a nation that has forgotten God, that has totally alienated God from their presence. They, they've gone off a whoring after strange and vile, wicked gods. They've turned from the presence of God. And God called Ezekiel and God asked Ezekiel to do certain things. And through obedience, through obedience... The power of God came upon Ezekiel's life. We have a pulpit today that is filled with preachers who want the power of God who are not willing to be obedient. We've got to get back to thus saith the Lord God. And so the Bible says in verse number one, the Lord was upon me. And he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. He caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and there were, they were very dry. Sounds like the average Baptist church. He said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? I answered, said, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones, preach. Say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will lay sinew upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. Behold, a shaking Bones came together and bone to his bone. When I beheld, lower the sinew and, and the flesh came upon them and, and the skin covered them about. And most of us would have quit. We got a big crowd. They're standing on their feet. They're covered with sinew. Somebody in the Baptist rank would have had a calculator and we would have been figuring up how many showed up for the service. But the Bible says, there was no breath in them. How many churches could be described this morning 
as having come together in fellowship. And yet there is no breath in them. Verse 8. And when I beheld, lo, the sinew in the flesh came upon them, and their skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then, then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Before he had prophesied to the bones, but, but now he's preaching to the spirit. Prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood upon their feet and they spoke in tongues and had exegetical exciting experiences and jumped pews and doesn't even say that in the living Bible does it? The Bible said the Spirit of God came upon them and they became an exceeding great army. Oh, God, please do it again. Father God, may your richest blessings be upon this congregation, upon the reading of your word and the preaching now. May you be honored. May you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I speak this morning on this subject, revival in a hard place. Not speaking primarily to your church, but to America as a whole. I would say for revival to break out in America is going to take a miracle. A mighty move, not of man, not of some program, but of the great gracious hand of an almighty God. One leading famous evangelist once described North American church as a sleeping giant. The description that he said was like this, that while she may look impressive and pompous, There is little genuine spiritual life present. The only sound coming from this pompous organization is a very comfortable sleeping sound. It needs a lot of prodding to get a giant moving and to make any significant difference in the world in which we live. May I say to you this morning that revival, although it may be for the church, its lasting results will not be in the church. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that if we ever get the Spirit of God moving within this building, it'll spill over into the highways and hedges and lives will be changed and people will be saved and marriages will be put back together and morality will be brought back to the forefront and lives for the glory of God will be lived for His honor. Oh God, please do it again. There is within this passage of scripture, as you well know this because you're Bible students, there is the, the, the doctrinal message that is presented here concerning the house of Israel. There is the, the uh, uh, prophetical message that is delivered here, the dispensational message concerning the great millennial kingdom. But I believe also there is within this passage of scripture a very practical message to the church. If you'll notice, the Bible says the first thing that we're greeted with here is that the people have a problem. 
as you notice, the man of God is carried to the church under the spirit of the God, verse number one, and the Bible says that they were in a valley. May I, may I just simply say to you in all love and compassion that that's where the majority of Christians live is down in the valley. We're always under the circumstances. We're always struggling, trying to figure out what we're going to do. And so the word of God says that when the preacher came to the valley, that he noticed the valley was filled with dry bones. The Bible says there were very many there. And the Bible also goes so far to say, with emphasis, I might say, in verse number two, that the valley filled with bones was filled with very dry bones. It had been a very long time since there had been any life. There had been a very long time since anything had flown through the, the, the inner part of that bone, that marrow, where, where the life really flows out and the blood pulsates through. It had been a long time since there had been any life. Dear friend, may I say to you, as of Friday, I was 58 years old. And in my 58 years, 35 years I've been in the ministry, I have yet to see a revival of this proportion. A revival that would sweep through the church and unite the family of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. We've got churches. I was surprised this morning, and I do this every time I come to North Carolina. Your roads are not flat. Now, you love that, but somebody that lives in Florida, we get lost in the hills. You have more turns than what we do. When you come to Sop Choppy, Florida, you can't get lost. We have got one road and two four-way stop signs. It's very simple. We get in our car this morning. We leave the motel. We're going to be here in plenty of time for Sunday school. Somehow, we're in Smithville. Thank God that I remembered that the pastor turned on a certain road last night. We turned on that, and by the grace of God, we got here in time for Sunday school. But in the process of driving through the country, you are inundated with housing projects filled with people and churches on almost every corner. How long is it going to be Before the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true church, understands that we can only win the world in which we live when we are united for his honor and for his glory. You say, well, you talk like a a universalist. You talk like somebody that's pushing unification of the church. Dear friend, I believe that the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones who are truly saved by grace through faith in him, will be united because all the ground at the cross is flat ground. Somehow, who knows, this large congregation ended up in a valley. And the problem with a congregation, whether it's your congregation, my congregation, or the congregation of any church in the United States, the problem with any congregation when they get in the valley is that if they stay in the valley long enough, they will die. And it does not matter how many functions you've got. It does not matter how many missions you're supporting. It does not matter how many programs you've got. If folks aren't getting saved in the church, the church will die. The problem of our church 
is that we are depending on something other than God to give us revival. So the Bible says that the preacher as he came together had to face this large congregation and under a mandate from God he had to preach. Now you need to understand something about his congregation. Number one, they were large. Nobody likes to stand in front of a large crowd and speak, especially when their message is maybe not one that will be pleasing to the ear. The second thing you need to know about his congregation is that they were all unified. They were all dead. They were all dry. And they really didn't have any idea about doing anything. And so God speaks to the preacher and he said, I want you to go in there and I want you to preach. And when you preach, you understand that you're going to stir some things up. I've got here the words of the Wichita pastor who addressed the Kansas House of Representatives. He was booed. The representatives got up and walked out on him as he was praying because of the words that he said came from God. As he prayed, he said, we confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it moral pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it alternate lifestyles. We've exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We've neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed the unborn and called it a choice. We have shot the abortionist and called it justified. We have, we have neglected the discipline of our own children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. And they got mad. And made CNN, made Fox News, made all, made all the headlines. Why? Because one person had the audacity under the inspiration of the power of God to stir some things up. That's, that's the start of revival. It's not the end. If you'll notice in this passage of Scripture, the Word of God says that these people needed to be stirred up. For the Bible says in verse number 5, God says, I'm going to cause some things to happen. 
And as the man of God stood in the pulpit and preached the word of God to a seemingly unhearing crowd, a crowd that seemingly was dead to the visual, to the eye, man, as you looked at this valley, you would say there is no hope for them. They are past reviving. They are dead. They are very dry. But the Bible says, as the man of God stood and proclaimed the word of God, that in the midst of the people, there became this real movement, if you will, a little more down in verse number seven. He said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. How long since there's been a noise in the house of God that wasn't pumped up? They had nothing to pump up with. They were dead. And so as God moved through his vessel, the words began to cause a stirring. And the Bible says the army stood up. And they had sinew. That means they had strength. Flesh came upon them. They had a covering. We could have counted their noses. They could have given an offering. But they had no life. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for your life to change? How long have you been going through the same motions? How long have you been going to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and Mondays are just like they've always been? What's it going to take? What's it going to take for your life to be totally changed? I don't want God to nudge me this week. I've been nudged enough. I want God to come in and I want him to change Bill Jenkins. I want him to work in my heart in such a way that when I see the people on the street, I see them as our Lord saw them, his heart filled with compassion. He saw them as sheep scattered abroad, having no shepherd. When we begin to see the world as Christ saw the world, we'll understand the commandment to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that his house might be filled. Amen. But it's not going to happen as long as we say, you know what, that preacher, I like that preacher. You know what, I don't like that preacher. I've got to bring myself to an understanding that for revival to come in my life, I must confess that I am dead. You do not revive that which is already living. I must come to see myself as God sees me. Very, very dry. And then I've got to pray that God by his grace would speak to the wind that it would blow into my life and bring life. Jesus said, I come that you might have life, but not just life. (laughs) 
We're so satisfied with life. We're so satisfied with just getting by. If the bills are paid, our wife is happy, everything is wonderful. No! Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. May I ask you a very serious question? Would you honestly say this morning that you are experiencing God's abundant life? Gypsy Smith, the great, great evangelist who died in the 1940s, said, if you want to know what revival is, draw a circle on the ground, step on the inside of the circle, and then ask God to kill anything that's in the circle. Then and only then will you experience revival. You know the verses. Psalms 85, 6. The Bible said, Wilt not thou revive us again, O God? Revival comes from the Lord. Wilt not thou revive us? If it's ever going to happen, it's going to be because he does it. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Boy, we just get that to happen. Hallelujah. But that's not the end of the verse. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and humble themselves and pray. Then God says, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I don't know what you've been praying for. I know what I've been praying for. I'm praying that God's going to do a work in Bemis Road, Baptist Church. Excuse me. Forgive me for that. I'm going to pray that God is going to do a work in this great church In such a way that not only is it going to touch your church family here at Benson Grove, but that the revival is going to spill out into Benson and to Clayton, surrounding areas. And that the fire that is lit here this week will spread to other churches and across denominational barriers that we have erected. And that because we're meeting here this week, America ultimately will be changed. The great revivals of the early 1800s began with two men meeting in a room in New York City. If God can do that with two men in a day when they did not have computers and television. What can God do here? When I left my church, I told my second in command and my chairman of the deacons, I'm planning on finishing the meeting on Wednesday. But if God gets in it, I'll see you when God sends me home. I could care less about preaching another meeting. Just to be perfectly honest with you, I love this part of the world. But if I was at home, there's a lot of things I could be doing. I might even break down and go fishing tomorrow. 
I came to this meeting because I felt like that God laid it upon your pastor for me to come. And I have been praying, God, I don't want to preach just another meeting. I want to be Ezekiel. And God, I want you to stir those people. I want you to stand them up on their feet. And God, I want you to breathe life into them like they have never known before. So that I might see it before my life is over. God has given us this chance. Will you live? The greatest question is found in verse number three. The Bible says that the prophet of God stood there and looked across the congregation. The Spirit of God asked the question, can these bones live? And the man of God said, God, you're the only one that knows that. We're going to have a revival this week. We'll see souls saved. We'll see lives changed. Only God knows that. But I want to say to you, he can still do it. In Genesis chapter number 18 and there in verse number 14, Sarah has mocked God. God said, Sarah's going to have a little baby. She's in her 90s. She laughed. You would. Be honest. So God confronts the man of the house. He goes to Abraham and said, why did your wife laugh? And he said, he makes this, he asks this question. He said, is anything too hard for God? Is it? Is anything too hard for God? Let's stand to our feet. Father God, may you break our heart. To the place, God, that there's nothing left within us. God, as water pouring out of a pitcher, may our spirits be pouring out of us this morning. As we come to an understanding that our nation, rotting in sin, reeling in iniquity, needs revival. And yet if revival is ever to come, it will have to begin in the house of God. I'm going to ask you right now, in Jesus' name, if God spoke to your heart, that you'd step out and come and find your place here at this altar. I know you've already been praying. I know you've had 24-hour prayer vigil. Someone, lady, told me this morning, said, preacher, I've been praying for almost a year. Another one told him, preacher, we've been praying for over a month. Prayer is the key. If God cannot do it at Benson Grove Baptist Church, where can he do it? And if he cannot do it through you, the people of God, who can he do it through Now, many have come this morning, yet many have not come. Is there no need?
Is the revival so far from us that we no longer approach the altar of God? Preacher, I don't feel comfortable going down there and praying. Dear friend, I want you to know revival is never comfortable. The bones were laying there and nobody was disturbing them. The man of God showed up. The Bible says there was some noise. There was some shaking. My prayer this morning is that God's going to shake you. And he's going to move you out of your comfort zone. And that this church will experience a revival that it's never experienced before. Oh, I know you've had some great meetings in the past. Unfortunately for most churches, that's where we live in the past. I want to tell you, there's a God in heaven able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can possibly ask or think. According to the power that works in you. Did you come this morning? Now understand that if you're here and you do not know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, I understand you're not coming. You can't get revived because you've never been made alive. And your struggles are utter futility. And your life meaningless. But if the Holy Spirit of God passes your way. And according to John 6, this morning he speaks to your heart. And draws you to his wonderful grace. I invite you to walk down an aisle and say, Preacher, I want to be saved. The greatest day of your life, sir, the greatest day of your life, ma'am, is when you die so that you might live for God. Would you come right now? This is our invitation. This is what we need more than anything else. We need those of you who are really touched by God to come and pray. And those of you who need to be saved to come right this moment. Would you come? I'm going to continue. Folks are still coming. Thank God for that. Folks are still praying. Time for you to come. Time for you to come. God, folks. Billy. 